With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. Give your glucose alerts and readings from the G7. Do not match symptoms or expectations. Use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Bring along the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies to add a sprinkle of joy to your workday. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Conversation About the Men. On this week's episode, I'm speaking to trauma expert Gabor Mate. Enjoy. I want to focus this interview on The Myth of Normal, which is your new book. Um, the opening of your book has a beautiful dedication. It says to dearest Ray, my life partner who saw me before I could see myself and who loved all of me long before I could love myself at all. None of my work would exist without her. And to the children we brought forth together, Daniel, Aaron, and Hannah who light up our world. That's beautiful to start your book with that. Well, that's the truth, you know, and, and, um, for all the learning that I've done, the biggest learning, uh, and the biggest growth um, and the most painful has been in my marriage and my relationship, you know? And I think there's some of the relationships that both hurt us, but also give us the opportunity to learn. And, you know, I'm fortunate, I was very fortunate. There's a, you know, and there's a joke in the first chapter where I say that my problem is that my wife understands me, you know, but uh, <laughs> all too well, but actually, that's also my good fortune. Yeah, I mean, coming from your own trauma, I yeah. can imagine that you were not the easiest person to live with, as most of us who experience trauma before we begin to heal. And even on the healing journey, we're, we're you know, we're, we're prickly. And my, my mother always used to say that she doesn't envy the woman that's going to marry me. And uh, there you go. <laughs> and, uh, and the fact is, we always couple with somebody at the same levels of trauma or woundedness that we are at. That's true. And then, then it's a question of 
do those wounds inflame the situation so much that we can't be together anymore or are we capable of of, of healing together that's really the that's the only choice we have yeah and and it can change because i know for me uh you know my husband and i have the same trauma but it's manifested as flip sides of the same coin yeah. and so that's very aggravating because you got one person who you know, it is an avoidant in one case yeah. and, and, and one who's anxious, you know, which well, is you, me. You just described our marriage. Uh, I'm the avoidant one and my wife's the anxious one. Yeah, well, this is why I want to meet your wife as well, because I know you a little bit and you are you you remind me a bit of my husband in some in some ways. Yeah. Um, and I'm probably quite like your wife in some ways. And that can be a very difficult dynamic because obviously the person who's anxious is triggered a lot of the time and the person who's avoidant is feeling overwhelmed and smothered. And, and I, for many years, thought, is it possible that people, two people who, who match up with trauma, is it possible for them to actually heal? Or are they just going to fire each other up so much that it's going to make it worse and they can never heal because you're constantly getting triggered? Well, also the avoidant one withdraws, which makes the anxious one even more anxious, you know, so it's just a never ending cycle. Yeah, it's possible, but it's possible under conditions that both parties are willing to do the work and looking at themselves. So rather than seeking the source of their pain purely in the other person, they're willing to look at what inside they're carrying and contributing. I mean, I think that's been a strength of our marriage is that not immediately and not always and sometimes very painfully, but ultimately we're both willing to look at ourselves as clearly as possible. And I think healing is possible if both parties are committed to it. And healing means not just healing the relationship, but healing oneself so that it's a more grounded person that approaches the relationship. And uh, that's a lot of hard work, I think, for a lot of people, including for ourselves. It is so much work. I feel like it is my life's work to heal from the wounds of early childhood, you know, and, and the wounds that I continued to, you know, perpetuate against myself well right. into my twenties. Right. It's like, you don't even need someone else to, to inflict the trauma upon yourself. You just do it to yourself because that's what you know how to do. You will do that to yourself and you'll also unerringly find others who will do it for you. Yeah, you know? it's so sophisticated. I feel like trauma is so sophisticated. It's almost yeah. like its own entity that's living and breathing that shape shifts, you know, and you'll you'll come. I know for me, like I'll I'll come up against some behavior or some pathology and I'm like, so then I discover, oh, it's trauma. Oh, my God. Yeah. The, the many faces of trauma. Yeah, that's right. And it shows up in so many ways um, and some of the ways in this culture are rewarded as successes, you know? Like if somebody's a workaholic and drives themselves, you know, say as a physician, as I did, um, or somebody who is um, talented, but desperately needs the adulation of the public to feel okay about themselves, they'll be rewarded sometimes if they have the talent for it with in tremendous success. Yes. And they'll, be utterly, and they'll be utterly miserable at the height of their achievements. You know, we've seen so many examples of that. I know many people like that, and uh, and they found those jobs because it enabled them to be enabled, um, and and to not face their trauma. And a lot of people who have addiction issues also get into industries where, you yeah. know, using alcohol and drugs is a part of the curriculum of that job. 
in a way yeah. so that they don't have to deal with the trauma. And it's only when they've got everything on the outside and they go, wait a second, I've got fame, I've got money, I've got him or her or them. I've got all the outside stuff and I still yeah. don't want to be here. Something's not right here that they start to question the environments that they've picked. That's right. And uh, usually something has to happen. Uh, there's, there has to be some suffering that we endure that finally, and usually repeatedly, before most of us are pretty thick headed, hard headed. You know, it takes a lot to take sense, knock sense into us. I'm certainly that way. And so that we have to suffer sometimes before we start even looking for what the truth is. I know. I wish that pain wasn't the cornerstone of growth, but it just is. Sometimes I try to get ahead of what I need to change. And I say to myself, don't let pain be the cornerstone of growth. You know what you need to change. Just do yeah. it before the pain kicks in and forces you to yeah. do it. And it's yeah. like, ah, who wants to do that? There's so many other things that need to get done ahead of that. And then yeah. it's like, ah, pain is just the thing that kicks your ass. That's right. And sometimes that's in the form of a mental health breakdown or, or a physical illness or a relationship breakup or some failure and some endeavor that you're engaged in. And I've certainly found that those so-called failures or, or, or those painful experiences have been my biggest teachers. I agree. I feel the same way. That's the not gift that, on not, the other side. Not that I wish it on anybody, but I mean, we have a chapter called The Dreadful Gift, Diseases Teacher. And, and these are actually people who went through severe phys physical illness but they learned so much from it that they actually are grateful. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even when it came to near taking their lives, and I don't recommend that way of learning and that's not the, rec that's not the curriculum I, I want to teach people, but I'm just telling you it, it happens that way. So this book is called The Myth of Normal. And I want to talk about the myth of normal and whether you think, because what I'm beginning to see is that our concept of normal with what happened with the world with COVID and lockdown and everybody's life hit pause um, to very varying degrees that our concept of normal changed. It was completely shattered. And I think things like what you mentioned, like workaholism and people who were just hustling nonstop and their health and their relationships, their mental health, all these things were suffering. I think there's more of an opening to have a discussion about what we consider normal today yeah. than there was two years ago which is why i think that the title and the information in your book is so aptly uh timed hmm. Hmm. yeah so th there's there, there's a, a legitimate use of the word normal so in medicine we use normal to depict or, or to or to refer to a set of conditions beyond which life is not possible so beyond below or above a certain body temperature there's no human life that you can sustain or blood acidity or blood pressure if it's too low or too high you die you know so that's the normal range even then normal is not a certain point it's a kind of range but norm in this society is also used to just to, to describe what what we're used to so we since we're used to it we think it's normal but what is normal in this society is neither natural nor healthy in many, many ways. So the normal has become fundamentally abnormal in terms of human health and human uh, thriving. Yeah, because people aren't thriving. They are surviving. A lot of people are just surviving. 
and yeah. we've become accustomed to thinking that like that's good enough and yeah. and it's not good enough the bar has been lowered because culture has lowered it right and said that these are the requirements if you're you're if you're not hustling and working 24/7 and overextending yourself not 24/7 but you know a lot yeah. um you know you're not normal and yeah. and i love the connection that you're making between the physical emotional the spiritual and uh, you know health connection which isn't a new theory but you're saying this this is not normal that we're living like this and you know and i think so many people will resonate with that what what has been the response thus far with people who have read your book so the response has been very warm and the, the um the personal re responses i get from people who have read it are also very positive you know no no you know you're always going to get exceptions, but mostly it's been a very warm and very interested and very enthusiastic reception. I think people sense that what we think is normal, there's nothing good about it. And and so they're looking for some kind of analysis of why that is and how we might move past it. So I think the book is timely. Uh, that's That's what I'm experiencing. And what would you say is some of the most significant takeaways from the book for someone that, that hasn't read it? Uh, yeah. What are you, if you were to kind of break it down in a sort of synopsis, what, how would you do that? Yeah, here's what I would say, is that um, although we tend to think of ourselves as sort of unitary, isolated creatures, you know, um, actually, from the scientific point of view, and from a spiritual point of view, we're actually part of a much larger entity. And so that our biology is inseparable from our psychology. And our psychology is inseparable from our relationships, and our relationships are inseparable from the culture that we live in. So we are what the physician and psychiatrist George Engel in 1977 called biopsychosocial creatures. And that means in order to understand health and illness, you can't do it with pure reference to somebody's biology or to a single organ. You have to look at the life of that individual in a certain context. So for example, recent study, women with severe symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder have doubled the risk of ovarian cancer. Um, men who were sexually abused in childhood have tripled the risk of, of, of heart attacks. Um, uh, an indigenous woman in Canada, because of the racial and gender oppression that she, should, that she experiences, has six times the rate of rheumatoid arthritis. Women in general, than others, women in general, have much higher risk of, room, of, of autoimmune disease. Now, these aren't biologically determined events. These are the impacts of culture and life and stress on biology. So you can't separate the individual from the environment and you can't separate the mind from the body. That's the takeaway because it, it also means that if we can understand that unity and engage with it, healing is possible. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. 
You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Bring along the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies to add a sprinkle of joy to your workday. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit Spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. I'm always interested in solutions because, yeah. you know, from my own personal journey, I at some point have to get into the solution of like, is there anything that I can do here? And, yeah. you know, I've asked you this, you know, personally, you know, when we've spoken a couple of times, but when you have awareness that you, a, a traumatic event has occurred and you have, uh, you, you say, okay, this thing has happened. What do we actually do to prevent the statistical outcome that you just mentioned, for example, you, you just said a couple of them, right? Like when people know that they've experienced trauma on a big, big T or little T, but let's just take a big T, big trauma, you know, to prevent that outcome being another statistic, is it possible to really change that outcome? Is there work that you can do that can actually change the physiology of your body over time? I suspect that there is, but I want to hear from you. Well, no, definitely is. Otherwise, there'd be hardly any point in talking about it, you know. Um, otherwise, you'd just be lamenting some distressing fact, but there wouldn't be much movement forward. So it's important to understand here that trauma is not what would happen to you. So trauma it's is the, your, the body's response to it. It's, it's, the, it's the wound that you sustained. It's the body's and the psyche's respond to it. Now, that's the good news. Because if trauma was what happened to you as a teenager or what happened to me as an infant, um, if that was the trauma, that's never not going to have happened. It happened. It's done, over with. Nothing we can go back and change what already happened. But if trauma is the wound that we sustained inside, that shows up in the present moment, 
that can be healed in the present moment. So the healing happens in the present. So it's not about can we change the past. It's about can we change the impact of the past that we're still carrying in the present. And that is possible both psychologically and, and of course, on a physiological level, because the psychology affects the physiology so much. So I've known people, even with significant illness, who once they deal with the trauma, or say significant addiction, who wants to deal with the trauma, their physiology changes, as you expect it to would, because our physiology is very much affected by our emotions and our and our and our beliefs. So that's just how it is. It's just, that's just a scientific fact, you know. So it's, it's obvious. I just wish that there was more information readily available on how to treat trauma, because of course it isn't one size fits all. There's so many yeah. different modalities. Uh, what might work for you might not work for me or whatever. But I wish that that information was clearly and readily available the same way that, you know, I, I mean, I don't know, like it would be to like, you know, if you cut yourself, you need a Band-Aid. Do you know what I yeah. mean? It's like, why is yeah. that information not so much more mainstream? Because everybody's dealing with it on some level. Well, I mean, that's the million dollar question. And uh, part of the answer is the people that are charged with, the healing function in our society, which is largely the medical profession and the psychological professions, are often not very really informed or educated about trauma. So the average medical student to this day does not get a single lecture on trauma and its impacts on physical illness. That's despite crazy. The, well, despite all the studies that show that the more trauma there is, the higher the risk of malignancy, higher the risk of autoimmune disease, certainly the higher the risk of mental health conditions. So despite all that scientific information that has been accruing and accumulating for multiple decades now and published in tens of thousands of times, the average medical student is not trained in that. And furthermore, medical school being what it is, itself is a traumatizing experience. Right. So, so, so often you so get- they don't, want of, to, they don't want to get into the impact of and trauma. They don't get into it, it's too yeah. threatening. So, the burnout amongst doctors is, is very, very high. And, and that burnout is almost the highest amongst all the professions. And the reason it's so high is two. One is that doctors themselves are very often traumatized without even realizing it by their training. And because the people that go into medicine in the first place are very driven, uh, people hard on themselves. So that's one reason. And the other reason, of course, is that they deal with traumatized people all the time. And right. willingly or unwillingly, wittingly or unwittingly, they absorb the traumas of their patients and nothing in their training prepares them to clear those absorbed traumas out of themselves. So that's why the burnout rate is so high. And, uh, and these are the healthcare givers. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, what the word trauma is, is kind of become a sort of popular zeitgeisty, you know, Instagram favorite yeah. you know terminology yeah. which is which is in many ways like it's great and on the other hand because there's an awareness on the other hand like everyone's traumatized by everything now do you know what i mean it's like it's the one who pulls oh, yeah. into a parking spot before you it's like you traumatized me you took my space yeah. it's like no dude <laughs> that is not trauma yeah well exactly and and, and you know you know i deal with that in the first chapter because i talk about what trauma is not so people often make this mistake that they're stressed, they're unhappy, they're upset, they have emotional pain, I've been traumatized. No, you weren't. You were just upset. You had stress. You had some emotional pain, but you weren't traumatized. So as Peter Levine, who's a wonderful trauma psychologist, says, all trauma is stressful, but not every stress is traumatic. And uh, a lot of people 
as you suggest, use the word way too uh, promiscuously, way too loosely, and and which almost cheapens the conversation. Because on the one hand, we're talking about it in in trivial ways. On the other hand, in the most serious ways, we're not talking about it. Yeah. I mean, are you surprised that the conversation around trauma has picked up steam and interest at the rate that it has? You've been talking about this forever, and now people are finally yeah. catching up to what you're saying. Are you surprised? Because it's pretty, it's it's pretty massive. The the conversation around trauma today. Well, if you look at um, the New York Times bestsellers list, a perennial bestseller is. Uh, my friend Bessel van der Kolk's uh, "The Body Keeps the Score," which yeah. is a not, Bible. Not an easy, Bible. It's not an easy read. It's not an easy read, but it's a bestseller, and it continues to be a bestseller year after year, week after week. I think what's happened is that society's got so stressed, and it's become so clear to people that so many people are in pain that people are starting to look for explanations and they're starting to look for um, uh, modalities of dealing with it. So. Bruce, another friend, Bruce Perry, a psychiatrist, wrote a book with uh, Oprah called What Happened to You, which is again about trauma. So I think the zeitgeist is catching up much faster than the medical profession is actually. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Bring along the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies to add a sprinkle of joy to your workday. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. 
In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. So let's talk about some of those modalities for people who um, feel like they need some some help and some support in addressing and processing their yeah, trauma. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the modalities that that um you know that you've seen be effective. All right. So as you said earlier, uh, there's no one size fits all. So trauma happens on many levels. It happens in the body, and it as as Bessel says, the body keeps the score. It sure does. Tried to bypass that one for years, but just could never do it. Yeah. Now, one of my books, when the body says no, I talk about how when people don't know how to say no because of early trauma, the body, of, because their, their no was repressed in order to fit in with their families and expectations of the culture, they don't know how to say no. The body will say no in a form of serious illness very often. And, and people that develop autoimmune disease are typically, um, and often malignancy, are often people that don't know how to say no. Yeah. And, the inability to say no was not their fault. It's how they were programmed. So what I'm saying is that, first of all, it happens on the physical level. So you have to deal with trauma in the body. So there are modalities of dealing with trauma in the body, and that can take the form of uh, trauma-informed yoga. It can take the form of um, somatic therapies like Peter Levine's somatic experiencing. It can take the form of modalities. Trauma is also larger than the nervous system, so that there are modalities that work with the nervous system, um, sensory motor uh, work and EMDR, um, eye movement, uh, desensitization, reprogramming. Um, these work with the nervous system and the brain. Brain spotting is another way of working with the brain itself and the, the traumatic imprints that are larger in the brain. Then there are therapies like my own um, compassionate inquiry uh, method, which is predicated on the principle that people have the truth inside themselves and provided enough safety and the right questions, they'll find the truth inside themselves. I love that approach. And I watch the videos from yeah. from when you when you do like, uh, you know, classes and stuff. I, I watch the videos. I find it fascinating. Yeah. Well, because I think that's the main point here is that the, wound, the trauma is not what happened to us. It's the wound that we sustained. But the capacity to heal is also inside of us as well. Not just inside of ourselves. And, you know, in nature, a, wound, a tree, if it's wounded, but it's, if it's not killed, will find a way of healing. An animal, you know, will heal. So that the healing capacity is, is an aspect of our natural endowment. And that's true not only in the physical sense, but also in the, you know, psychological sense. And especially since you can't separate the two, Often when you heal the one, you're you're also going a long way towards healing the other. So all the modalities, now some of the modalities that focus only on symptoms or only on behaviors, I think they can be temporarily helpful, but they fall short of healing. And it's one aspect of it, right? It's one aspect. It's addressing, you're right, you know, the it's not addressing the root cause. Yeah, you know? so I think any, I think any modality that, that addresses the root in other words any modality that is trauma informed uh is going to be helpful in the right hands you know yeah. and, and no, no modality works without the 
the relationship being a safe and 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 supportive one and uh, but but in general in in a safe context lots of modalities help and i want to talk a little bit about um psychedelics because those yeah. the the recent um studies are so promising and there are more and more people who are successfully treating their deep deep trauma using um different you know different forms of of silent um of psychedelic medicine so i think that's another one that i wanted to just raise because even though so far today it's still illegal in the united states there are well, well, well let me let me let me interrupt something just got passed recently right someone just yeah, told me the, that the, 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 in some jurisdictions like in san francisco recently within the last couple of weeks legalized ayahuasca and mushrooms Wow. Okay. So I knew someone recently, a woman who Lucy Walker, who directed the Michael Pollan series, it's on Netflix. She told oh, yeah. me that there was just something passed and I was, I couldn't remember exactly yeah. what it was. And that's what yeah. it was. Yeah, that's what it was. So, but so there's some, that's major. In, that's major. There's some cracks in the ice now. Um, so I've been working with psychedelics for about 13 years now, um, both in the sense of as a healer, you know, leading retreats and, or, or, conducting sessions uh, for people, um, but also for my own healing. And so I discussed that at some length in one of the chapters in this book, The Myth of Normal. And the best way I can explain it is something that Rick Doblin, who's a, a prolific uh, researcher and, and, and organize, yeah, organizer of research, he talks about that usually there's a membrane between the unconscious and our conscious lives. And so much of what motivates us and drives us and animates our emotions and our behaviors is actually unconscious and subconscious. We're not aware of it. We think we're making conscious decisions, but actually it's almost like a the unconscious is like a puppeteer pulling the strings mm. behind, behind the curtains. So what the psychedelics do is they remove that membrane between the unconscious and the, and the conscious so that it's almost like having a waking dream where you can experience all the pain and all the terror and all the anger, perhaps, and all the joy and all the love and all that's below the surface. But you get to see it and you get to experience it as a conscious being. Now you get to actually interact with it and to learn from it. Mm. So doing psychedelics is they're moving this invisible membrane that keeps us from really knowing ourselves. So people come out of psychedelic experiences often knowing themselves much more deeply than they ever did before. And not only themselves, but also the nature of reality. They they realize that many of the assumptions that they make in daily life are actually illusions. Now, mm. that, for example, the How freeing. That, yeah, they're liberating if we can make them live in our lives, if we can integrate them. Integrate so, them and hold on to them, right? That's right, yeah. No, yeah. at the same time, I don't, I'm not a psychedelic evangelist. Um, I don't think they're going to save the world. I don't think they're going to say psychiatry because I think the issues that are troubling the world and troubling medical work and troubling psychiatry are far broader and more systemic than psychedelics can possibly by themselves correct. But it's nevertheless a wonderfully promising modality that we're absolutely um, derelict if we don't uh, uh, research. And, you know, let me tell you an amazing fact 
maybe amaze you, maybe you've heard about it. There's a psychedelic substance called iboga or ibogaine. It's a plant that goes in Gabon in Africa. It's been used ceremonially by those people for hundreds of years. Now, it's been shown now, and it's been shown in current studies, that first of all, that you can be a heroin addict and you can do the iboga or an extract of it. And in one night or two nights, you have no withdrawal from the heroin. There's nothing yeah. in West, there's nothing in Western medicine that even come close to that. That's the first point. The second point is that they're working with veterans now, um, including studies run by a very famous California university on working on PTSD in, in combat veterans. And they're showing some really promising results. And yet they have to do this work outside the United States because it's illegal in the United States. Yeah, I have a friend that that, that works with that in Mexico, and she takes yeah. people there and helps yeah. them to basically get off drugs, yeah. Uh, yeah. opiates, using ibogaine, yeah. and it sounds incredible. It is the the bureaucracy uh, within the country that well, you don't live here, but I live here. Um, that is, I, I know that's okay. I live in Canada. It's very, very similar. Yeah, but prohibitive of you know, being able to use these modalities that have proven to be so effective today. Hopefully that will change, right? It, it sounds like it is changing. At the same time, what is not illegal is something that was reported in the United, sorry, in the New York Times just three weeks ago, which is there was this teenager, front page article on 10 different psychiatric medications. Oh boy. And, 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 and that wasn't a unique experience. That's a trend. I now, know. That's legal. That that's legal. And it's I know. Do not legal. do not get me started on the over medication of people, yeah. especially children. And yeah. we wonder why we've got all these increased cases of bipolar and ADHD Definitely. and all these diagnoses that I'm not saying aren't legitimate, but I'm saying I feel like they're they're overly diagnosed. And you know, the DSM has gone from it's like doubled in size over the last however many years because there's all these different di all these new diagnoses. The diagnoses for everything. Well, as I discussed in the book, um a diagnosis can be a useful description of something, but it's not an explanation for anything. So um so for example, I've been diagnosed with ADD, ADHD. Okay. I have that's one of my first book was on that. Yes. And, scattered. Uh, Scattered or Scattered Minds is the original title. Um, but look, at, but it doesn't explain anything. So here's, so so Gabor tends to tune out and he's got poor impulse control, okay? And Gabor well, leaves things in hotel rooms. Gabor loses <laughs> an electric toothbrush every time, he goes on, every time he goes on a speaking trip, you know? Yeah. Now, so why does Gabor tune out and loses a toothbrush on every, on every speaking trip? Because he's got ADD. How do we know he's got ADD? Because he tunes out and loses a toothbrush. And you know, in other words, there's no explanation there. The explanation is in the fact that the, the child rearing environment in this culture has become so stressed that tuning out has become one way of kids of dealing for kids of dealing with that stress. It's a coping mechanism but, that was a survival skill in childhood that is not necessarily beneficial in adulthood. That's the whole point. So that it's a coping mechanism that got ingrained in the brain when the brain was developing. And now we're diagnosing all these kids. But we're not looking at what are the conditions that are driving it. We're just trying to medicate our way out of it. And well, actually, how... but, sorry. Well, that's on. okay. I just want to say that if you 
treat a child with compassion and understanding and you don't react to their behaviors and you don't judge them actually if you give them this warm loving accept, um, accepting relationship that will help heal the brain circuits medications will never do that you know you and i have spoken about this and when i hear you say that you know you've spoken to me about the disconnect that happens when kids experience trauma and that you know reconnecting with them is crucial to their healing and yeah. i have to tell you as someone who also has a trauma response to things i find yeah. it very difficult to give that uh you know loving accepting calm gentle response that you're talking about i can probably do that maybe 70% of the time and the other 30% i i have a trauma response well, so I'm, I've been, I was very similar as a parent, but here's here's the thing. At least you're aware of it. So that when you're not able to respond the way you would like to because you feel too triggered or too upset, at least, ideally, you're not going to make your child responsible for it. And and when you once you realize that you reacted in a certain way, you'll, you'll take the responsibility for rebuilding that bridge with the child. Yes. So it's not a question of having to be perfect. It's a question of, are we available for that repair? Are we available for that reconnection, which never should have happened in the first place? So it's going to happen, but it doesn't need to persist. Unfortunately, in this society, we, we put the emphasis or the onus too much on a child. You know, it's your fault that this happened. It's your fault that I'm feeling this way, and you better behave to make me feel better. Now, that puts an impossible burden on the child. Yeah. So, so you don't have to be perfect, Amanda. You just have to be aware as as you as you as you are i am aware i am for sure so you wrote this book with your son and yeah. you've been very honest about you know your shortcomings as a parent during different times of your life when you still had unprocessed trauma that you were healing and i really appreciate your transparency and your um, integrity around sharing those stories and i think it's very relatable for, for a lot of parents um so you obviously have healed and repaired your you know, relationship with your kids to the degree that you've, I love that your daughter runs your social with you. And I watched <laughs> the sweetest live stream that you both did the other day, because Hannah mm -hmm. is telling you like, no, you don't do it like this. We do it like this. And you're That's just, right. I was intuiting our boundaries and she said, no. Yeah. And I loved I'll never, it. I'll never do it again. Yeah. I loved that. She set you straight. And then, yeah. and then you've written this book with your son. So yes. talk to me a little bit about the process of repair with your own kids um and how how that has now shaped your relationships with them today sure so in this book my son daniel um who with those brilliant assistants that could cooperation collaboration i could not have written this this big book um he's just so wonderful with words um but he describes in the book a nightmare he used to have as a child which was of the floor disappearing from under his feet mm. And that had to do with the emotional atmosphere in our home. Because as a young, sensitive, very sensitive, very bright, sensitive child, he never knew when, there's being a, when the peace in the home would turn into rancorous conflict between my wife and I. And when that happens, the floor falls out from beneath the feet of the child. Especially in this isolated culture, when the grandparents and the uncles and the aunts are no longer living with you to pick, you know, to hold things together, you know. So for the child, so Daniel describes that. So, I mean, as much as anyone, I've been aware that my children's challenges came out of their own 
childhood adversity that was imposed by the unresolved traumas of my wife, Ray, and I. Um, so we've done a lot of repair. Um, at a certain point, I decided when Hannah was still a teenager that no matter what our relationship was like, once a week, her and I are going to go out for have dinner together. And even if we had to go out and fight over dinner, we'd still go out and have that dinner just to make sure that the connection happens. Daniel and I now have a program. In fact, it's our next book. We have a two-book contract. The second book is going to be entitled Hello Again, A Fresh Start for Adult Children and Their Parents. And that's a workshop that we do. But the point I'm making is it's an ongoing process because if you saw us last week at our New York book launch, you would have picked up on some degree of tension between us, which we've had to you know, process. So there's no claiming. I wish I could claim some perfection here, but... Not quite yet, but but at least we're committed to it. Which yeah, is you're committed to it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you both don't want to quit at the same time. People ask me, like, how, how have I stayed married for 20 years? It's like we both didn't want to leave at the same time. <laughs> you know? That's a good way of putting it. Right? <laughs> um, so that brings me to, you're talking about, you know, it's, it's a, we're in process, right? There's progress, not yeah. perfection. That brings me to the question of, do you think that you can ever clear trauma and the trauma imprint completely or do you think that there's always going to be something in there well i think ideally yes but in practice probably for most people not but we don't have to we just have to recognize when it shows up because the power of what what peter levine calls the tyranny of the past is not that we're carrying a trauma imprint but when the trauma imprint shows up we think it's reality so once, so that, so it, you know, so that let's say with my wife and I, I, I have this, I'm being rejected or something, you know, and I react like a, a one-year-old to rejection. If I recognize, oh, here's that pattern. Here's this happening again in my brain. Oh, hello. Already. Oh, I'm it's no longer... so real though. It's so real, isn't it? It just well, tells it you that it feels, is so real. It feels real. Yeah. But it's, you know, so that's, so it doesn't have to completely clear, but we have to become, use the word awareness earlier in our interview. And as long as the awareness is there, it's okay that it shows up. It doesn't have to take over and dominate your your life or your reactions. That's pro, that's That takes work. It takes so much work. I mean, you know, I got sober at 21 and I've been in recovery for the majority of my adult life, as you know. And I still more than I would like to, my brain will go offline and go into fight or flight. Like mm -hmm. I am a teenager getting assaulted again, you know, and it happens despite all the work that I've done and all the awareness that I have. And when it happens, I do have awareness of it, but I just feel so disappointed sometimes. Like I don't want to have to navigate the process and the amount of work that it takes to deal with that still. No, well, so, so let me spring some compassion and inquiry on you, if you'll permit me. Yes, please, please, okay. Gabo. Let's let's say if I came to you, and um, I said to you, here I'm age 78, which I am, and uh, I still find myself at times reacting like, like an infant or like a teenager. Would you say to me, Gabo, I'm so disappointed in you? No. Would you say to me, you've failed? Definitely not. Why would you not? 
because I like you and because I know some of your journey and because I know that you've worked so hard to overcome what you grew up with. So do you notice something that you're treating me more kindly than you treat yourself? Yes, definitely. Okay. That itself is a trauma imprint. Okay. So that that self-judgment. Because this, as you said earlier, this is hard work and it's a long-term process. And I hate to tell you, but it's a lifelong process. So that self-judgment that shows up for you is itself is a marker of trauma. You would never impose that judgment on me. No, never. I would never do that. Or or, or 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 in any friend that comes to you just to just to ease their soul by telling you what it's like for them. So that that judgment of the self, you just need to notice. So I'm judging myself now. Like that is one, yeah, that's some thing. deep that's some deep Kristen Neff work, right? Yeah, she talks about self compassion. A lot. That's and, that is my area that I'm working on now. That that is yeah. the the last kind of intense trauma work that I did that is what came up is my lack of self-compassion that I have immense yeah. compassion and empathy for other people but not for me so when you talk about your disappointment notice that as a lack of self-compassion because that's all it is mm, thank you thank you for uh reflecting that back to me and just to be another reminder that that is indeed where I have some work lying ahead for me yeah well join the club um Gabor, I really appreciate your time today. I love talking to you. You're one of my favorite um, people to talk to. Um, and I just welcome the opportunity to talk to you anytime. So I'm really excited for people to read this book. Um, the Myth of Normal is out now. And I'm just so grateful that you put a piece of work out into the world that can help people because God knows a lot of us need a lot of help. So thank you. Well, thanks for having me, giving me this platform. And it's really always a, such a pleasure to, to speak with you as well. So thank you. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually 
in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. 